We're in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because it's the first Sunday of the year. And I started thinking about something this morning. Allison and I have had a lot of time. We, we basically took off. Uh, Christmas Eve service came, and it ended, and it was wonderful. Christmas Day came, and then we took off on vacation. Some of it was here, some of it was gone, uh, until a week later. So we took that, that whole week off. And, and we had time in that, in that period of time to reflect on God and what he's done, to reflect on you all and the, the gratitude that we have for being here with Bethel. This family of people has been wonderful to us. But... But we run a risk. We, as a group, run a risk. We are blessed by God in this group of people to have capable, talented, able people who, are, who have the ability mentally to construct ideas, who have the ability physically to make them happen. You all are an incredible and impressive group of people, which could be your undoing, which could be my undoing by virtue of being part of this with you. Because if we're not careful, it becomes about what we can accomplish. And as we dive into this this passage, looking at this year, we're moving into a, a sermon series that'll start at the end of the month on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what that looks like, how we utilize them, what's needed at Bethel. And if we're not careful, we start to look at our talents and abilities, not the gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows on us, irrespective of us, right? Spiritual gifts are something that are outside of us. It's not our abilities. It's what God gives to us by grace, which is the getting of something that you don't deserve. So as we engage with this concept, as we engage with uh, with Romans 12, 1 and 2, as we engage with spiritual gifts, we need to make sure that we, we look at ourselves and put ourselves in the correct position, which is subservient to, under, dependent on Christ, which is a group of people interdependent on each other, not dependent on our own abilities. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So before we can even jump into into this whole, this whole idea of, of what aspect we're looking at in this passage. There's a lot in these two verses that we could spend a lot of time on. And right now, today, this year, we're going to be focused particularly on, in order to worship God, we need to be transformed. Now note 
This is where our abilities could come back to haunt us. It does not say transform yourself, which is what we often as capable people put in our minds if we're not intentional. We think, oh, I need to be better. True, but you can't make it happen. This is a passive voiced verb, meaning that it's a thing done to you, not a thing that you accomplish. So how do we live in such a way as to be people who are passively transformed? And then what are we supposed to do with that? It's not enough to just say, oh, here's a great intellectual exercise. Let's figure out what passive transformation looks like. That's a wonderful exercise that does nothing for us if it doesn't do anything for us. What does it mean to have passive transformation? It starts with one particular idea. And that's that you are not the controller of your destiny. It's not an idea that we really like until we really think about it and realize we can't control much anyway. So it's awfully nice to have somebody who can control things to be the one in control of the things that need to be controlled since we can't do it. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Does it say, and I'm sure of this, that those of you who are really capable and started to develop by discipline good habits will complete them by the time Jesus returns? No, that's not what it says. Are we saying then there's no value to discipline? There's no value to self-control? There's no value to effort? No, that's not what we're saying at all. We're just saying that we need to make sure that we know our place. Because if we elevate ourselves and our own minds into a place that's not ours, then we will fail. Because he somebody who's outside of all of us began something and he who's outside of all of us will finish it. Now he's also inside of us as the Holy Spirit resides in us. So we could make that theological perspective, but it's still different than us because it's him, not us. Now, to go further with that, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses four and five, abide in me, rest in me, remain in me, be connected to me, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And we have talked about this before, but we probably can't bring it up too often. If you cut a branch off a tree and throw it on the ground, you should not expect it to bear fruit because the branch doesn't have that ability. The tree has that ability, and it works through the branch. But the branch can't do that on its own. I am the vine, he says. You are the branches. I am the core. You are the extensions. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So now we're talking about spiritual development, being transformed. We can't do it. Apart from Jesus, we can't do it at all. He's the one who starts the work. He's the one who continues the work. We cannot make it happen. So what do we do to put ourselves in a place where that can happen? Guess where the answer is? Yes, the Bible, more particularly. We started the sermon in Romans 12, 1 and 2. The answer comes in Romans 12, 3. Isn't it handy how that works? It's almost like it was on purpose. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, right? Do not be conformed, but be transformed. That's what he's saying. So now by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. You need to be transformed. Don't think you don't need to be. Don't think you can do it on your own. You need God to transform you by changing the way your mind works. Because it's coded wrong, you could say. In sin, it processes wrongly. So it needs to be remade. It needs to be renewed so that it can function correctly and give us the right perspective. And the right perspective is that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We don't think that we're in a role that's not ours. It's Christ's. We want Christ in his role. We want us in our role. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think of yourself with sober judgment, which also means this. Paul is not saying, think of yourself poorly. So he's first of all not saying, think of yourself really good. Don't think you're better than you are. He's also saying, don't actually think of yourself worse than you are. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to have sober, which is objective, perspective of yourself. You have certain gifts. You have certain abilities. You are that talented, able, capable people that we were referring to earlier. But you're not more talented, able, and capable than you actually are. So don't think you are. But don't pretend like God gave you no gifts because he did. And as the form of Scripture is inspired, we, we, we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, and frequently what we mean by that is the words of the Scripture are inspired, but the order of Scripture is also inspired, not the order of the books that are in this Bible order, because that was put together by people. But when Paul wrote to the Romans, what he said following what he said, which follows something else he said, was inspired the order that he wrote Romans in. It was intentional. It was inspired. It didn't just sort of happen. So when we see this, and we see Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then we see verses 3 and 4 coming out of it, or verse 3 coming out of it, we're going to move to gifts, which is verse 6 to 8 in just a bit. And that order, that processing, that saying, be transformed, don't be conformed, comes right out of humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7 says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subjected or be subject to the elders. Close your, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that 
he, that at the right time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What does God want from us? To, to make this all function and work? Humility. Thinking of ourselves not more highly than we ought, but thinking of ourselves where we really are. Not pretending like we're worse, but thinking how we really are. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the people around you. Here's my gifts. Here's my abilities. Here are not my gifts and not my abilities. My gifts and abilities can reach to this level. Spiritual gifts, as we get into those, will take the things that we can do and say, here's the result it should get, but we're going to come with this result because the Spirit is causing it to happen, gifted-wise through us, not us causing it to happen, gifted-wise through us. And that starts with passive transformation, recognizing what role we play and waiting on the Holy Spirit to change us. I have some friends that some of you might have met. They went on a trip this over Christmas time. And, and when I saw them at one point, they were darker than they had been when I saw them previously. Here's the question. How hard did they work at that? Well, honestly, how hard do we have to work to get a suntan? In the winter, we have to work really hard in Marquette. I get that. Where they went, it wasn't Marquette. It wasn't even considered north. It wasn't considered anything other than hot, maybe tropical. How hard do you have to work if you're in that environment? It's a transformation. You're being changed. You're not actually working on it. You're depending on something else to make it happen to you. You're, you know, when, when you go to the beach and you're hanging out in the sun, you're just enjoying the sun. You're enjoying what it gives you and it changes you. That's passive transformation. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to know and be like Jesus. Let our minds be changed to thinking about the world in terms of his kingdom, engaging with him, seeing him everywhere we can see him and how he's functioning and what he's doing, having our minds bent toward him consistently, and then he transforms us. But he doesn't transform us because of how hard we work and how good we are or we would have opportunity to boast. But we're saved by, developed by, gifted by grace. So that we could recognize that it is not us or our abilities. It is Christ. And then we centralize him, which is back to verses one and two. This is your spiritual act of worship to centralize Jesus in all the things that you're doing, in all the ways that you are. And then, and then what? And then Romans chapter 12, verses five or six through eight. When we get into the spiritual gifts time, we will spend more time on all of these discussing it. So this is sort of just an overview as it ties into being transformed Having, different, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, which reminds us that the gifts are what? Not earned, not deserved, given to people who particularly don't deserve them. Does that devalue us as people? No. 
It's just a reality that we are not more deserving than we think we are. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in his generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That's the result, the intended spiritual, scriptural, inspired result of being transformed, of being a living sacrifice who recognizes who we actually are and the role that we play, who recognizes that we're then given gifts, but why? Why are we given these gifts? What's the purpose of them? The purpose of the gifts is the development of others. Back to the humility part. If we're going to be humble, we're going to think about others. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, uh, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests or not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Don't look out for you. Look out for other people. It's, it's about other people. And as we get into these gifts, we're going to look at how they tie into the one another's of Scripture. And the one another's are all commands as to how we are to interact with one another. Having nothing to do with how you interact with yourself, but how you interact with everybody else and how everybody else interacts with everybody else. So you become a part of the everybody else for someone else, but it's never about you for yourself. That was confusing. Maybe if I say it faster, it'll make more sense. The intent is that I am never making decisions for me. I am making decisions for others. And others make decisions for others so that I become cared for by others as I seek to care for them and they seek to care for me. And that is the truth of every one of us, not the truth of a pastor up front speaking. This is the truth of every believer within a body of people, which is part of why we're called to be in a body of people so that we're not lone wolfing it on our own, thinking that we can do it on our own. We don't need other people. No, we do need other people. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16 and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, personhood. This isn't just about men. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be, be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, which is us, 
when each part is, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's the point of this? That God gave gifts, some of which are going to correspond directly to the Romans 12 passage, but God gave gifts and roles to certain people that are the sort of seen roles so that the body may be equipped and built up so that those pieces could all work together correctly so that those pieces build the body up. The leading role is to equip people with the tools needed to make that happen. The leading role is not to do that. Otherwise, it centralizes who? It centralizes me or the elders or Chris or somebody. But we're to centralize Christ which is where you have certain people who have the gifts needed, spiritual and natural, to equip people, and then those people filter through the body to help the body work together and grow correctly. We're going to go back to this Romans passage. And we're going to start to jump around a lot. We're going to go from here to a passage, back to here to a passage. So if you have the QR code, you're doing well. If you don't, good luck. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. Let's just read it, and then we'll jump through it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Remember the, ta the, the parable about the talents? It's not just about abilities. It's not just about money in that case. The guy who did not use what the master gave him was despised by the master. You have gifts. If you've put your faith in Christ, you have a gift. What is it? I don't know in this moment, but you have a gift. And if you choose not to use it, because we're told to use it, the master will not be pleased with you. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, one another's, because these have to be engaged with other people. You can't do any of these rightly or even close to rightly if you do them isolated by yourself. So if prophecy, let's just start at the beginning. The most difficult one of these. What does it mean if prophecy? See, where our minds go to is like Isaiah prophesying that Cyrus was going to let the Jews leave Persia and go back to Israel. Do you know what percent of prophets' work was telling the future? I don't know a number either. But it's like this much. Almost all of what they did was speak truth to people, not telling the future, but telling truth of reality as reality engages with God and who he is, his character and his word. So when we come to prophecy, we're not making an argument right now for or against how prophecy works, but we are saying, so we sort of are, we are saying that what we're focusing on is the foretelling of truth, the speaking out of truth to people, not the speaking of the future about somebody's life. So how do we see that? 
Before we jump into that, we need to start with, not before we jump, before we move to the verse that talks about the truth-telling, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What that means is this. Every one of these gifts must be in accordance with, in line with, Scripture. Because Scripture is what thoroughly equips us for every good work. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. If prophecy, right? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with one another. With the truth with his neighbor, if we are all members of one another. If your gift is prophesying, if it's forth-telling truth to people, then do that. Gently. The intent isn't to run people over. Those people who have the gifts of being able to, to discern truth and speak it also have a tendency to be mean. Don't be that. If prophesying is pro- prophecy and is prophesying in proportion to his faith, if service in our serving. First Peter chapter four, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, let us use, let us use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ, him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. If your gift is serving, do it for Christ. To one another, for Christ. To the one who teaches in his teaching. Colossians chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food. Oops, that's chapter two. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if you're teaching or admonishing, do it in the name of Jesus. Admonishing means to rebuke, to tell somebody to do it differently. Sometimes that's harsh feeling. Sometimes it's not. It depends on how it's done and why it's done. But if teaching in his teaching to other people, to exhorting in his exhortation, this is Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another, encourage one another, Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Chapter 10, verse 24 says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's the same idea. Encourage one another toward Christ. And the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, give cheerfully. Give generously, right? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, determine in your own heart what to give and then give that cheerfully. Give of who you are and what you've done to the one who leads with zeal. 
Paul writes to the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Cheerfully, happily, the one who desires the role of overseer or elder, that person desires a good thing. Do it cheerfully. Do it happily. Lead well with zeal and desire, realizing that all you're doing is leading. And to the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another in God as Christ forgave you. Galatians chapter 6, Verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The one who shows mercy, show it. Be kind, be gentle, work alongside the one who teaches or who has the gift of prophecy because they have a tendency to be harsh, but you work alongside them, not in opposition to them, alongside them to show kindness and mercy using the gifts interdependently within the body because we understand the role that we play. We understand that we have this set of gifts. We're not more important. We're not less important. But we have this set of gifts as Christ transforms us so that we can be a living sacrifice as a family of people. And as we engage in the coming weeks on what it means to utilize those gifts at Bethel, be ready to want to use your gifts for the people around you so that we may be worshipers of Jesus in all we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to us. Thank you for the spirit that you've bestowed on us. We pray, Father, that you would continue to transform us. That you would renew our minds and our thinking so that we would be men and women who honor you with what we do. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us your son. And it's in your holy and amazing name we pray. Amen.